Good morning, Redeemer. If you have a copy of scripture, open with me to the book of Psalms. We're going to start reading in Psalm 74. Maybe like some of you, I've been drawn to the Psalms these past several months during the pandemic. First, it was this uh, unsettling uh, and unnerving uncertainty of what the virus might mean for, for myself or for my family or for our community. And then it was this disorienting jolt of life shutting down uh, so quickly and so comprehensively. And then the boredom and the loneliness and the anxiety and the frustration, all of that sort of coming together drew me in to the book of Psalms. As a pastor, my life and my schedule uh, orbit around uh, regular weekly church and ministries. And so not being able to gather together on Sundays, which was a real anchor day for us, uh, was again very disorienting and disheartening. Maybe like for some of you quickly, I, I went from thinking, thank God for FaceTime and Zoom, the, these technologies that keep us so connected in the midst of this uh, time when we can't be connected physically to hating those those Zoom meetings and feeling that real Zoom and FaceTime fatigue being in front of a screen all day for so many hours in front of so many people. And so it's it's been a struggle. It's been a struggle for us. Little by little, my days blurred into one another. Again, felt unanchored in some ways. I felt less connected to friends. I felt less connected to family. Um, I felt discouraged. And in many ways, I realized what was happening is I was, I was in mourning. I was mourning loss. I was mourning the loss of the familiar. I was mourning the loss of my preferences. I was mourning loss of convenience. I was mourning the loss of control which I was reminded very quickly, as many of us were, that we don't really have much control at all. And as I watched the news, I mourned the death of George Floyd and the subsequent riots. I, I, I mourned the persistent racial injustice in our country. I mourned the division of communities, especially communities of faith. I mourned the polarizing effect of media, maybe especially social media, uh, realizing how it, how it divides uh, one neighbor against the other. I mourned the, the violence against the police. I mourned the violence against the protesters. I mourned the destruction of so many businesses and properties. Uh, I mourned that so many people were so divided over so many things. It was heartbreaking for me. And it started to feel like the center whether it was the core unity of our country or of even of our churches, that the sinner could not hold. Or maybe for some, as I've seen the statistics of the rise of anxiety and depression and addiction during this pandemic, maybe for some, it feels like the sinner cannot hold even within ourselves. And in many ways, this is how God's people felt at one of the most uh, one of the darkest moments in their history, when about 600 years before Jesus was born, uh, the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, raided the capital city of Jerusalem and burned it to the ground, destroyed the temple of God, uh, and exiled almost all of the inhabitants uh, from Jerusalem to Babylon. This effectively, destroying the temple, uh, shattered their sense of community, shattered their sense of security or of stability or of peace. One commentator referred to the temple as the glue that held their world together. It was literally and emotionally the center. 
Marcus gave us a, a great summary last week of the book of Second Kings. Um, and the book ends with the Babylonians again entering into the city, burning it to the ground, destroying the temple, and, and God's people being taken into exile and remained in exile for almost 50 years. This is how the book of Second Kings ends. One of the most, if not the most, disorienting things to happen in the history of the ancient Jewish people is the destruction of this temple. And at some point during that 50-year exile, one of the musicians, one of the musicians who served in the temple, helped lead the people in worship in the temple before it was destroyed, he wrote a song about his own mourning and about his own loss. Let me read for us Psalm 74. Psalm 74 begins this way. It, it has a, a title at the top, a maskil of Asaph. The uh, maskil is a, a specific kind of song or poem that imparts wisdom to the hearers. And Asaph is, um, there are individuals with that name in the Hebrew Bible, but there's also this group of Asaphites who, again, were worship leaders within the temple in Jerusalem. And the, the passage starts this way. The song starts this way. Oh God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? One translation of verse 1 puts it this way. You walked off and left us, and you never looked back. God, how could you do that to us? That was their feeling. That was their emotion in the midst of this, this, this destruction of their community. And this image of smoke that he uses here in verse 1, it's of a, of a fire that just won't go out. It's the sense that this struggle or this pain, this frustration, this trauma, it just won't end. It just keeps going. It just feels so fresh. In verse 2, remember your congregation which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion where you dwelt. Direct your steps to the perpetual ruins. He's calling God to come see this destruction for himself. The enemy has destroyed everything in the sanctuary. This musician feels forgotten and he feels alone. And yet, ironically, this is not only a a personal lament, a personal song of lament and mourning. It is a, a communal sense of mourning and loss. This is a tragedy and a struggle that God's people are facing together. It says, we are your sheep, we are your congregation, we are your tribe and your heritage. Remember us, God, we are your people. And yet, ironically, this community struggle is made all the worse because what has been destroyed is their sense of community, their sense of togetherness. The the temple has been destroyed, and, and that means that their routines are gone. Their sacred space, gone. Their, their community connection, their community worship, all gone. Many of their businesses, gone. The very place associated most with God's presence has now been destroyed. Their sense of community is gone. And the result is that now they feel disconnected, not only from God, but also from one another. They are, they are completely disoriented. And for them, this is now the new normal. This will be the new normal for 50 years for many of them. The writer goes on in verse 4, Your foes have roared in the midst of your meeting place. They set up their own signs for signs. They were like those who swing axes in a forest of trees. And 
it's carved wood. They broke down. That the, the when it says broke down there, that's in the Hebrew, this imperfect verbal form, which means that uh, it feels like it's just constantly happening. It feels like this this ha- this trauma is happening right now. I just can't escape it. They set your sanctuary on fire. They profaned the dwelling place of your name. They they brought it down to the ground. They said to themselves, "We will utterly subdue them." They burned all the meeting places of God to the ground. This is evocative language of of the pain that God's people feel. That they describe in violent detail the destruction of the temple, the disintegration of their cultural and spiritual unity. It's like those who swing axes in a forest. It's just utter destruction. Verse 9, we do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet. There is none among you who knows how long. How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand? Why are you intervening, God? Take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them. How long, O God? How long, O God? How, How long will this last? Will it ever end? When will we get back to normal? When will you intervene? This, this is a poem about the loss of center. But thankfully, the poem doesn't end there. The poet goes on. Yes, in many ways, this is the loss of center. Uh, and it is that in a meaningful sense, but it is not that in an ultimate sense. Walter Brueggemann in his commentary on the Psalms says and reminds us the loss of the temple does not mean the loss of God, does not mean the loss of Yahweh. And the poet knows this. And he says, there's this huge shift in verse 12 where it says, yet my God is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. If you hear nothing else this morning, church, hear these words, yet my God is king from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. This is a new pain that I feel but I serve an old God. I serve an old God, a God acquainted with grief, a God familiar with sorrow, a God who precedes time, a God who is sovereign and has supreme knowledge over all things, a God who is loving to his people. This is a God who has dealt with heartbreak before. This, is, this, this does not catch him off guard. And more than that, not only is he not caught off guard, he is actively now working salvation in the midst of the earth, even in this, even in this chaos, he is working salvation in the midst of the earth. The poet goes on in verse 13. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters. You crushed the heads of the Leviathan. You you gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open the springs and the brooks and you dried up ever flowing streams. He says, yours is the day and yours is the night. You established the heavenly lights and the sun. You fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and you have made winter. You see what he's doing? He's he's recounting the stories of God's victories. He's reminding himself, as it were, that God is powerful. He's reminding himself who God is. He uses this image of uh, images of the sea and of the sea monster and of the Leviathan. These are images in scripture of uncontrollable chaos common in the ancient world. This is, these represent the great unknowable, things beyond our control, things that we cannot fix. We, we can't tame the chaos in our world, but God can crush it. 
God can crush it. In fact, this is exactly what he does. He, he brings order from the chaos. He, he transitions from him crushing these, these overwhelming, uncontrollable images of chaos to bringing order and peace and stability. He says, you've, you've made the day and the night, the, the lights and the schedule, the boundaries. You, you've set the rhythms. He takes all of this pain, all of this disorientation, and somehow, in a way that only God can do, he brings order. And he brings peace and he brings purpose from all of it. He goes on to say, remember this, O Lord, how your enemy scoffs, a, a foolish people revise, uh, reviles your name. Do not deliver the soul of your dove to the wild beast. Do not forget the life of your poor forever. God, don't forget us. Don't forget us. We are your people. Have regard for your covenant. Remember our relationship. For the dark places of the land are full of the uh, habitations of violence. There's violence all around. Let not the downtrodden turn back in shame. Let the poor and needy praise your name. In verse 22, arise, O God, defend your cause. Remember how the foolish scoff at you all day. Do not forget the clamor of your foes, the uproar of those who rise against you, which go up continually. Again, in his commentary on the Psalms, Walter Brueggemann says, this Psalm has a curious and surprising outcome. It ends in a surprising way. This, this psalm, which is ostensibly about the temple, is in its last few verses not about the temple, but about the source of all life and all hope in the absence of the temple. Namely, it's about the presence of God. Even when the center seems to have fallen apart, God has not left them alone. I've sat by many friends in hospital beds and in, on deathbeds, and I was telling some friends this uh, in our community group this week. In invariably, when I'm in those places as a pastor and as a friend, I'm asked to read a passage of Scripture. And in my 20-plus years of ministry, um, I can't think of a single time when someone in that circumstance asked me to read from uh, the book of Romans or the book of Genesis. Now, those are, those are amazing and, and unbelievably important books for the people of God. But almost without fail, almost without fail, people want me to read from the book of Psalms. Why is that? Why are people drawn to the book of Psalms when they feel so insecure and so hurt and so vulnerable? There's something to them. There's something special about these ancient poems that, that comfort us. They remind us that we're not alone in the midst of our pain. And they, they give full voice to the range of our emotions, right? They, they speak for us, as it were. They, they give full voice to the range, range of our emotions with our anger and with our frustration, with our faith and doubt, with our, our joy, with our longing, our pain and loneliness and fear. They, they speak to that. And they're so honest about all of that. They, they communicate very clearly how they feel. John Calvin says that the book of Psalms contain the anatomy of all the parts of the soul. They speak for us. In many ways, they, they say, uh, like any good song that touches our hearts, right? They, they give clear words to our emotions that sometimes for us feel uh, very unclear. In this season of so much anxiety and so much uncertainty and so much noise and agitation, I need to be reminded that my God is of old. My God is of old. And he is now in this moment working salvation in the midst of the earth. He's not just up there somehow disengaged or uninterested. He is active and he is present and he is working here 
and now. There is a recurring question, or even you could say accusation, in the book of Psalms. It's repeated over and over, and it goes like this. God, have you forgotten us? Or why have you forgotten us? Why have you left us alone? Have you, have you forgotten about your people? And the, the honest and important answer to that very honest and important question is, no, God has not forgotten his people. God is aware of us. God is present with us. He is mindful of us. In the book of Isaiah in chapter 49, it says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, God says, but I will not forget you. I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. What a beautiful passage. In Deuteronomy, the same idea is conveyed in chapter 4, verse 31. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant that he has with your fathers. He will not forget the relationship that he has for you. In Psalm chapter 9, it says he does not forget us. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. These are without a doubt, church, difficult times. But our God is of old. Our God is of old, and he is working salvation now in the midst of the earth. The psalmist here, the writer of Psalm 74, provides a pattern for us, a a pattern for us for dealing with life when it feels like the center does not hold. He goes to God with his grief. He doesn't, he doesn't bury it inside. He doesn't just hold on to it. He, he opens himself up to the Lord. He goes to God with his grief. He reminds himself who God is. He reminds himself of God's faithfulness and of God's character. And he pleads with God. He asks God for what he wants. He says, God, intervene for your name's sake. The destruction of the temple for the Jewish people was a devastating blow. Uh, hard for us to even comprehend in the way that all of culture and all society really um, was surrounded by physical, the physical temple as well as the, the spiritual reality of what the temple meant in representing the place of God's presence. Again, hard for us to comprehend. It, it upended the lives of everyone in the community. In many ways, as we said, it destroyed community itself. But even, even there in that moment, God was present. And it was through the exile that God taught his people to trust him all the more. That exile experience was an important experience that God brought his people through to teach them more about himself. This is a fundamental belief for a Christian. I hope that we share it. This this idea, this belief that God redeems tragedy. This idea that God redeems tragedy and pain and chaos, that even, even through pain, through chaos, through tragedy, God brings beauty, God brings healing, God brings peace, God brings redemption for his people. When reflecting on this psalm, on Psalm 74, one devotional writer noted that the greatest destruction directed towards God's people came not upon the people as a whole through the destruction of the temple, though that was significant, but upon one representative Israelite. In the fullness of time, the temple again was destroyed, But not only the temple made by human hands, but the true temple, the temple of the body of Christ, in which God's presence was most clearly on display. Quoting there from John chapter 2. It was through this darkest act in human history, the crucifixion of Jesus, that God provided and secured eternal hope and peace for all those who would trust them. Through the worst moment, 
through, 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 the, through the darkest pain that this universe could experience, the crushing of God's Son, through that, God brought forgiveness of sins. God restored his relationship with his people. He, he, he offered endless, eternal peace and hope through the darkest moment. On one Sabbath day before Jesus went to the cross, he, he was in the synagogue and he opened the scrolls and he read and it said this as he read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He's reading this before the congregation. Jesus says, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's, he's saying there in, in, in the synagogue, everyone is staring at him thinking, what is going on? What has this young rabbi, who does this young rabbi think he is? And he goes a step further and Jesus says, today, just as he reads this, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's in Luke chapter four. Jesus was reading from Psalm 61. He was quoting from that scroll. And the passage goes on to say that the Lord has anointed me to comfort all who mourn, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That's what we need, right? We need to, we need to trade our faint spirits for praise that they may be called oaks of righteousness isn't that a great phrase oaks of righteousness this idea of its stability and strength and fortitude oaks of righteousness oaks of justice the planting of the lord that he may be glorified i want to encourage you church look to jesus this morning look to jesus look to the one who brings purpose from pain Look to the one who unites all things to himself. The one who, it says, trades ashes for beauty. When, when God's people would mourn, they would cover themselves in ashes. And he says, I'm going I'm to take those and replace it with a headdress of beauty. Praise for the faint spirit. I'm, I'm asking us, church, I'm, I'm praying that we would be a church, a people who trust him, that he, that he is of old that he is working even now, even when it feels like the center cannot hold. God is working now salvation in the midst of the earth. Let me say a prayer for us, church. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that, that your people have struggled throughout history and have given voice to those struggle and you have, you have remained faithful to them. And God, you remain faithful to us now. You are a God of old you are a God who knows us, who has not left us alone, who has not forgotten us. Even in the midst of this chaos, even in the midst of what we all feel, this disorienting sensation that so many of our lives are upended, that we have lost the familiar, that we mourn the loss of convenience. God, you are God of old. And so I pray that you'd help us to trust you. I pray that you'd help us to look to you to give us peace. And God, I pray for the unity of our church and the unity of our country, God, that we would, that we would stand firm, that we would love our neighbors as ourselves, that we would sacrifice one for another, that we would think of others as more highly than ourselves, God, that we would give ourselves away for your sake, that your name may be glorified. God, be with us. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for redeeming the most, the darkest things in history. God, for your good and for your glory. 
God, even from the worst, you can bring hope. And so we trust you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.